The scripture reading this morning is from Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the power of his word, by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. The next scripture reading is from Hebrews 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The last scripture reading is actually from Luke 7, 1 through 10. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I, too, am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turning to the crowd that followed him said, I tell you. Not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Thank you. Good morning. morning. For those of you I haven't yet met, my name is, oh, hold on, I'm getting a phone call. Hello. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay, I will. Love you too. Bye. Um, worship team, that was Jesus. He said to tell you he will be at worship night because what you did this morning on this stage right here was caliente fuego. He absolutely loved it, Alf. He loved it. Someone said, Jesus' Spanish is terrible. (laughs) No, Jesus is actually fluent in Spanish, but my mother made me take French in high school, so mom, if you're listening, thanks. Uh, Good morning. I always say this. I always mean it. It's really an honor and a privilege to speak to you because you are the body of Christ. You are the salt of the earth. And you hear that said, but like, what does that actually mean? It means like the salt that you use uh, in your food. You change the taste of whatever it is that God sets you upon. When you go out to work tomorrow or to class or to the grocery store, you change the atmosphere of wherever it is that you go. You enhance the experiences of others just by being yourself. And when you all get together like this, it can be overwhelming sometimes to have so much salt. So I'm always a little bit nervous, but so excited to be with you. 
We're going to continue our series, uh, our new fall series, Live Free. This is week two, and we're going to do that by talking about faith today. We have talked about faith a lot in this church in the past. I went through the archives. I listened to a lot of messages. It's been tackled by a lot of different folks. And first and foremost, I want to give honor to those messages because they got us to where we are today. They got us across the Red Sea. And when we talked about faith before, we always did it in such a respectful way. We were so cautious of where people might be in their spiritual journey, and I think we didn't want to offend. But when I was working on this message several months ago, God was so clear with me that we are in a much different place now, and so we can go a lot further. So that's what we're going to do today. We are going to read from Hebrews for the first half of, of today, um, so you're welcome to open your Bibles and join me there. It's also going to be on the back of your program. Now, Bethany just read Hebrews 1 for us, and she did it so beautifully, but I want to read it again and make sure we're all clear on who it is that we're talking about. Hebrews 1, long ago... At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, that's Jesus, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Jesus is the radiance of God, and Jesus is the exact imprint of his nature. And Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. The Christian life begins with faith in Jesus. And that sounds so simple and so obvious, and it is, and yet I'm amazed at how easy it is and how often we take our eyes off of Jesus. I think that we spend a lot of time thinking about our faith, but we do so thinking, you know, how is my faith? Is my faith good enough? Do I have enough faith? Is it strong enough? Is it working? And we don't spend enough time thinking about to whom is your faith being directed, or to where is your faith being directed. And so I want to start today by looking at what faith is as defined in the book of Hebrews. Now let me say this about the book of Hebrews really quickly. Uh, I find it to be one of the most complex and complicated books in the Bible. Um, the book of Hebrews elevates Jesus above historical events. And it takes the weight and the truth of who he is and the significance of what he did. And it lays it all out. And if you pick and choose and jump into Hebrews at different points in the book, um, the tone can be a little bit off-putting sometimes because it seems like someone's just, you know, kind of like hitting you over the head with a ruler. But if you take the time to read through it and you start here at one where we just did and you work through this beautiful story in the Old Testament and why he's a part of the story and how you're a part of the story now and what your role is, you really get a sense of the love 
that's in this letter to Christians who are struggling. And in chapter 10, what comes before what we're about to read, that section is really one big cheerleading, uh, rah-rah encouragement speech for you. It's telling you to keep going, you know. Don't forget how excited you were when you started out in this journey. Don't forget how hard it was for people to offend you because things used to just roll off of your back because you were so excited to be here. Don't forget to encourage other people. Keep going, keep going, keep going. And so it's with a smile on his face and love and an excitement for you to have that same passion and devotion for Jesus that he or she does because the author is debated. It's with all of that that we, got, that we dive into Hebrews 11. So Hebrews 11 says, either I need a new Bible or I need new contacts. It says, uh, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Substance is defined as that which stands under. So if we were to look at that sentence again and cross out the word substance, it would read, faith is that which stands under or that which undergirds the things that we hope for. In case that doesn't resonate with you, I want to look at it again in the Amplified Bible. Are we able to put that up? Um, In the Amplified version, it says that faith is the title deed or a legal right to something that is divinely guaranteed to you. Faith is a title deed, a confirmation, a legal right. There are things, there are divine heavenly things that you own or that you have access to as believers, and faith is your legal right to them. So for me, that leaves me with the question of, okay, what exactly are those heavenly divine things that I have a right to? And then what validates the legal right to those things? I'm not a lawyer. I'm not the best person to ask about title deeds. Actually, Dan Carpenter is a lawyer. Dan, where are you? Dan, how are things going at Salino and Barnes? Okay, 800-888-8888. All right, I'll call you tomorrow. Um, maybe Dan, maybe, maybe Dan can help us with this a little bit more. But uh, as far as I know, a title deed is uh, a, a legal document. It's presented to someone who has purchased an item. Okay, let's say that you want to buy a car. You go to a car lot, you talk to a car dealer, you give them some money, and in exchange, they give you a title, and they give you a set of keys, and then you go off on your way. At that point, the car is yours, and no one can take the car from you unless you give up your title or your legal right to it. Now, as you're driving around in this car, at no point in time do you think you own this car simply because you have the keys in your pocket. No. 
you know that you own this car because you paid for it and because you have a title to it that's sitting in your glove compartment. You know that there was an exchange made. There was a transaction. You know that you have paid a price for this, and that is why you own it. And your faith being a title deed works the same way with one key difference. You're not the one that paid the price. Jesus did. In fact, he paid the ultimate price. He paid off your debt. He paid what you owe God. He paid an eternal down payment on everything that you are going to receive in life going forward. And the only catch, the only agreement, the only thing he's asking for is that you believe in him. It's almost like he's saying, hey, all I need you to do is believe. Believe in who I am, that I am who I say I am, that I did what I said I did, and I'm going to take care of the rest. And that is why we put all of our faith and all of our trust in Jesus. Our faith and our trust is not in our own ability. It's not in what we can do. It's always in his ability. And I'm taking the time this morning to walk through that because if we don't refocus and recenter our faith on Jesus from the very beginning, then the whole thing is a wash, you know? This is why Paul in 1 Corinthians says, hey, all these things that you early Christians are doing are so great. But if you don't actually believe that Jesus rose from the dead, then your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Or put another way, if you don't actually believe that all of this, the reason that we get up on Sunday mornings and come here to church, is based on what Jesus has done, then what exactly is the point of any of it? The last time that I uh, spoke um, after service, there was a young woman from Tampa, Florida, who came and she found me after service. And um, she was so lovely. The whole conversation really blew me away, mainly because she told me that people in Tampa, Florida are listening to our podcast on a weekly basis, which I just, that's so wild. So shout out to our friends in Tampa, Florida. <laughs> yes. Um, but uh, she was in need of prayer about a few different things. I don't want to put all her business out there because apparently she and her friends are listening. But uh, she was a few days away from what I will call a major life test. So she was telling me about this thing that was coming up, and uh, I was saying, okay, you know, great, 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 got it, I'm, I'm tracking with you. And at the end of it, I was a little nervous, but I said, you know, would you mind if we just stepped over here and just prayed together? And she agreed. She said, yeah. So I, um, you know, took her over here into what I like to call communion corner. And uh, I said, listen, I'm going to be honest with you. I've been talking for the last 30 minutes, and I'm absolutely white. So how about this? How about you start the prayer, and I'll end it, because your faith is just as good as mine, and at the end of the day, you believe we're 
putting this whole thing on Jesus, right? And she was like, yeah, 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 absolutely. And I do that with people from time to time when I pray with them. Not always. So if we pray together and I don't do this, it's just because I didn't feel spirit-led to do it. But I like to stop before I pray with people sometimes and just check in. Like, who is your faith in right now before we start this prayer? And sometimes they'll stop and they'll look a little confused and be like, uh, Jesus? And I'm like, yes, exactly. Your faith is in Jesus. Your faith is not in me, right? And they're like, right? I'm like, your faith is not going to be in whatever fancy words I say or if someone's speaking in tongues or if someone's hands are shaking, right? And they're like, right. I'm like, right. And your faith is not in how many things you did correctly this week versus what you did wrong. Your faith is in Jesus. And when you do that, whether you do that with other people or you do it for yourself, you see this change start to happen in them where they start to get really revved up, you know? And it's like there's this realization of like, right, 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 you're agreeing with me, but at the end of the day, I have a personal relationship with him. And I like to do that for two reasons. One, again, because it reminds them of who, you know, who this is really about and who we're talking to. But I also do it for myself because if I'm being completely honest with you, it keeps me from ever being confused about who really has the power. I'm not the Messiah. I'm a broken vessel that he has chosen to use for this particular moment. But at the end of the day, it's all about him. And so we prayed, and I told her, you know, I believe with you. I believe God's going to do these things for you. I believe God's going to come through at the right moment for you. And it was so wonderful to be so free to pray. I, I'm not the best at praying, but I'm free when I pray. And I think that there are some keys to being able to pray well, but I truly believe that the first key is being free enough to do it because you know that the whole thing rests on him. It doesn't matter if I say four words. It doesn't matter if I keep you for four hours. At the end of the day, he's the one that's got to show up and the power's got to flow through him or absolutely nothing is going to happen. And... Uh, we finished, and she said, that was really great. And I said, it was really great because you got centered on what just took place. And I said, you know, I just want you to know that God loves you. And when those words came out of my mouth, I couldn't believe it. When I was your age, I just used to hate when people would say that to me, God loves you. Because it just sounds so Christian-y. But... I am telling you, he loves you. Last night, last week, just constantly, constantly, constantly as I was preparing for this message, 
that just kept coming through so loudly and so clearly. And I don't know who it is for. I don't know who is in this room that needs to hear it again and be fully convinced of it, that needs to know that if God has to shut this whole thing down and put everybody in a trance while he comes after you, he absolutely will because he is the God that will lead the 99 to go after the one and you are the one. He is unstoppable in his pursuit for you. It is not an accident that you are here today. It is not an accident that I'm saying these words to you. He absolutely loves you, and he has a plan for you, and he created this world for you, and part of that plan is for you to help redeem this world and for you to bring his kingdom here and for you to live victoriously. I'm obviously very off my notes right now, so let's just get back on track. But what I said just then, whether that was for you or it was just a general reminder for you, I would love for you to spend a few minutes tonight thinking about that love and what that one selfless, pure act of love has done. And then, rather than just thinking of faith as this thing that you have to have, try thinking of it as a pipeline or a super highway between you and God. I mean, what brings the water from deep within the earth to your bathroom sink? when you turn the water on? What brings oil from deep within the earth to refineries on the ocean surface? There's always a pipeline connecting the things that you can't see to the things that you can see. And so faith is your pipeline to these divine heavenly things that God wants to freely give you. Grace, wisdom, Riches, power, salvation comes through faith. Everything that you're asking for is going to come through that pipeline of faith. And we have an opportunity to realize the kingdom of God by hooking up and getting connected at both ends of that. Does that make sense? I hope so. But moving on, too often... We do not receive what is readily available because our faith is focused on something other than Christ. And having your faith be focused on anything other than what Christ has done is what results in what Jesus likes to call little faith. Five times in the book of Matthew, the disciples are there, they have faith, they have a moment of doubt, and Jesus utters the dreaded words, Oh, you of little faith. That has got to be the worst. So I want to break down what little faith is today. Because I know that for years I had a fear that I had it. And I think it's like an unspoken thing in Christianity where all of us are like, Is it me? Is it me? Who has it? Who has it? It's little faith. Teeny tiny faith. Oh, no. And... um. Maybe it is you, but we're going to move out of it today. 
All right, little faith is a type of faith. It doesn't actually mean that you have too little faith, as if we were measuring it in a measuring cup. What matters when it comes to faith is not the quantity that you have, it's the object of your faith. Um, in the book of Luke, the disciples flat out ask for more faith over and over and over again. Very Oliver Twist. Please, uh, we have some faith, but can we please just have some more? And every time they do this, Jesus lets them know you don't need more faith. Because as it turns out, if you have faith the size of a grain of a mustard seed, you can do really amazing things. You can say to this tree, be uprooted and planted into the sea, and the tree must obey your command. Now, you're smart people. If faith the size of a grain of a mustard seed, have you ever seen a mustard seed? If faith that size is enough to uproot a tree or a mountain and move it all the way into the sea, why would you need more? You don't need more. And he doesn't just say this once or twice. He keeps using the illustration with the mustard seed. It's almost as if he's saying, you don't have to muster up more. All you need is a little bit, because when I show up, the rest gets done. When he's talking about little faith, it follows a moment when the disciples were not fully focused on him and what he could do. You know, it's like, oh, God, you know, I, uh, I know you're Jesus. I know you're good and everything, but there's this huge storm happening right now. I'm so sorry to wake you up from your nap. And he's like, why do, why do you have this little faith, you know, where you're not fully, like, focused and, like, honed in on what's available right now? Little faith is uneasy. It's fidgety. It's restless. Little faith wants a preview of what's going to happen before it steps out. Little faith wants to know how much money it's going to get back before it pays its tithes. Little faith is heavily affected by how it feels on a particular day or in a particular moment. Little faith believes he can, but will he? And it happens to all of us. And so the goal, what I want you to leave here with today, is knowing it's not about getting more. That's not the goal. The goal is not to get more. The goal is to move from little teeny tiny faith to greater faith. Great faith. You, Jesus does never, he never tells you to get more. He, he talks about great faith in comparison. And great faith is focused on God and his word, and it does not waver. Little faith believes that the next time you take a plane to L.A., that God can make that plane land safely. But great faith knows what it says in Psalm 91, that he keeps you under the shadow of his wings. Little faith believes 
that he can take a King's College student and cause them to pass their midterms. But great faith believes he goes before you in all things at all times, and he's already ordered your steps for something great, regardless of what happens in this one test. Little faith believes that God can give you a job, just any old job, but great faith believes what it says in the word, that he will and he can provide all of your needs through and by Christ Jesus. So even if he has to do something absolutely crazy and rearrange circumstances in order for you to get all of your bills paid, that's what he's going to do. He's going to provide all of your needs. Little faith is a chicken sandwich from Chick-fil-A. But greater faith <laughs> is a chicken sandwich from Popeye's. <laughs> that sandwich has more meat on it. <laughs> it's got mayonnaise, regular or spicy. I recommend spicy. Pickles. The bread is softer. Get it with a side of seasoned fries and a strawberry Fanta and go out and live your life. <laughs> My real voice came out. <laughs> My point is that greater faith stands on the word of God. I want to look at this, my favorite example of great faith in uh, Luke 7. Your program says Hebrews 7, but it's, we're going to go to Luke. This is the good old story, good old bedtime story of Jesus and the Roman centurion. And I'm sure you're very familiar with this story, but for those of you who aren't, let me just very quickly set the scene for you. Jesus has been out. He's been ministering to people. He's been doing amazing things per use. And when he's done, a group of Jewish elders approach him. They say, Jesus, listen, uh, we know this man. He's a Roman centurion, and he needs your help. And before you scoff, uh, this guy's a good guy. He's been really good to us. He's been respectful of our faith. He's helped us rebuild our temple. And there's a servant in his household who is very, very ill. Please please, will you come and heal him? And Jesus says, yes. And so they begin to travel to this Roman centurion's home. And it doesn't say how far or how long they travel, but we do know that they traveled some distance. And we also know that when they were still some distance away, before they even got to the house, the Roman centurion sent a group of his friends out to meet them. So this guy's friends come out, you know, and they're like, hi, hey, which one of you is Jesus? You? Oh, great outfit. Love what you're doing. Here's the thing. Roman sent us with a message, and the message says, Lord, I'm unworthy to have you under my roof. Will you just heal my servant? I know authority. I do authority. I recognize that you have a special authority to heal, and so you don't even have to come any further. Can you just heal him from right where you are? And 
I know that the reaction of the crowd had to have been so wild. Why? Because these are religious people, and they travel with Jesus. And I'm sure they had a very certain idea of how this was going to happen. They probably even told the Roman centurion in advance, hey, listen, here's what you do. Clean your house, prepare some food. Jesus is going to come over. We're going to do a prayer circle. All of us will lay hands. He'll heal your servant. Bada bing, bada bang, boom. And instead, he says, you, you can just do it, you know, right from where you are. And Jesus turns and he says to the crowd, he marvels, it says. He's, he, he marvels. His mind is blown. And he says, not even in Israel have I seen faith like this. And I love this story because it challenges me to have a type of faith that can make Jesus marvel at what it is that I'm doing and saying. And I also love this story because you have to realize up until this point, no one even knows it's possible to do healing this way. They have only seen people get healed the same way every time, which is that Jesus has to be physically present and put his hands on them. No one even knows it's possible to heal someone from far away. The Roman centurion doesn't even know it. But he believes it's possible because he believes that Jesus is able. And that is great faith. Great faith believes that the greatest of all time can get the job done. And great faith believes and presses in for the truth. And that truth sets you free to get really wild and ask for some crazy things. There is nothing wrong with putting your faith out there for a very practical solution. But my question for you today is, is there any area of your life where you are being like the religious people who think that the only way this man can be healed is if Jesus is physically present to put his hands on them? Are you holding on to the idea that something you have asked God to do has to happen in a certain way. I cannot tell you how many times I have held on to these ideas that I have, and it has to happen this way. You know, it can be everything from, okay, well, you know, I need this job and I need once I get the job, I need certain people to fund it. And so if I can just get a meeting with this one particular person, then I know it's all going to work out, you know. Or when I was an actress before, I always used to think, well, you know, this is all going to work out. But if I can just get this one agent or this one, like, producer to see me, then, like, everything's going to work out. And even years and years and years later, where all of that's behind me, even now I find myself still where I'll just be praying and I'm banging my fists on the floor and I'm saying, it has to happen this way. It has to. It has to happen this way mentality will rob you of a true faith miracle. 
because God knows that there is a better way to get the thing done that you're asking him to do. He knows that if you ask him and you open your hands and you let him work, he can go beyond all reason and do the supernatural and bring it to you right where you're sitting. So let him. Will you let him work in strange and mysterious ways? <laughs> this is uh, where it's going to get a little bit choppy. Because I'm going to tell you about what this looks like in my personal life right now. I, I like when... Uh, preachers, you know, tell you about things that happened in their past, but sometimes it's like, no one cares what happened 30 years ago, Barry. Tell me what's happening right now, you know? <laughs> this summer has been um, particularly challenging for me. It was one of those summers that felt like everyone that I knew went somewhere in a floppy hat and like spent weeks and months on a beach and I was stuck riding the C train. And um, it kicked off at the end of last spring. My husband, at the end of the spring, started to feel an unease about his job. And um, you know, in this Christian life, you gotta know us up, you gotta know us down, you gotta know when to hold them, you gotta know when to fold them when to walk away, and when to run. And in case there's any confusion, Kenny Rogers said that, not Jesus. So don't go looking for that in the Bible. But uh, above that, you got to know when God is trying to do something, when he's talking to you. And so my husband, I think he tried to at first push the feeling down, but it stayed with him, you know. And eventually... We both worked up the courage to start asking, Lord, is he supposed to look for a new job? So we continued to talk about it and to pray about it. And he went to some of the men in this church and got counsel from them. And to the men in this church who constantly counsel and support him, whether that's taking him to a sporting event or sitting down with him over coffee to, you know, talk about what's going on. I just want to say thank you, and I have your back, because I know that you have his, and I deeply appreciate it. Eventually, he knew for certain that God was telling him to resign from this, what we'll call, fancy company. And uh, he told Fancy Company, he gave them a verbal resignation, and Fancy Company is very slick. And, of course, they said, well, hey, you know, don't be so fast. You know, you don't have to do that. Or, you know, we can do it like this, and we can extend it and whatnot. And so he came back to me, and he told me that. And, again, after praying, God was so clear. I said to resign and to leave your job. Stop stalling. Do it now step out, I've got you. So he made the decision. Okay, that's it. I'm going to resign from my job. And on the same day that he sent in the written resignation for the, for, at Fancy Company, the same day 
he got an email from this amazing company in super fancy Palo Alto, California. And they said, you know, uh, hey, you know, we've been talking to you a little bit off and on, and uh, we just like you. Come on out to California. We're going to fly you out. We're going to put you up in a fancy hotel. And how quickly can you come? And he was like, well, as it turns out, I'm available to fly out this Friday. Um, and so that's what he did. And we were just so excited, you know. Got his shoes shine, just looking sharp, just amazing. And uh, he came back from California, and we were just so full of faith, just so excited. And then he got an email from the company, and they said, uh, you know, thank you for coming out. We really liked you, but we're, we're just not going to go forward, you know. No real explanation, just thank you for your time, and, and that's it. And um, we were both very disappointed, you know. We took 24 hours, you know, we sat with the disappointment. But then after that, we were good to go. And it's important that you do that. Disappointments are going to come in life, but you cannot let them sit on you. You got to get that stuff off of you quickly, because if you don't get it off of you quickly, that disappointment will turn into discouragement. So life went on. And do you remember that part in Marcy's sermon on pursuing God where she talked about how when she was in the army, she had to know what her breaking point was of, of when she hadn't had sleep, that for her, she knew that 48 hours and 20 minutes without sleep and without food was her breaking point, and she could no longer make a rational decision. Well, in this situation for myself, Two weeks and six days, y'all, I'm good, okay? I'm leading prayer meetings. I'm worshiping in the street. I know God is going to come through. No problem whatsoever. Four weeks and one day, I'm still pretty good. I have my faith together. But at around five weeks and three days, something started to happen. And I started to spiral. I took my eyes off of Jesus for one second, and suddenly it just hit me. We have so many bills to pay, and we still have bills from the old fertility clinic, and now we have bills from a new fancy doctor, and we have to pay our rent, and my sister graduated from college, and I didn't even send her a gift, and we need insurance, and, 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 and. And when I get to that place, it is a perfect storm for me to start an argument. And sure enough, I did. It was a very dark and scary night in Brooklyn. <laughs> Saturday, October 25th at approximately 8.46 p.m. while the Jets preseason game was on. I walked into the living room. I knew I should have taken myself in the bedroom and prayed, but I walked in there. And I was like, are you having a good time? It looks like you're having a good time. I just want to know what's going to happen. I just want to know 
what your plan is and what you're planning to do and what you're going to do if those plans don't work out. And I'm just drilling him. I'm just drilling him. And he finally looked up and he said, Jasmine, you know, right now, it's a battle. It's a constant, constant battle. Fear, doubt, and worry are always chipping away. And I have to work so hard to cast it down. And I realized at that moment that I had little faith because I could believe that God was going to provide for me if he did it in the very specific way that I wanted him to. But did I actually trust him to provide all of our needs, even if that meant some random person on the street had to walk up and say, hey, the Lord told me to give this to you because that's happened to me many times before. And I felt terrible. Here I am working on a sermon about faith, and he had to be the one to remind me that it is moments like this when we actually get to exercise it. And it really shut me up because I can't relate. I've been there. I should know better. When you are just trying your best to stand on stable ground, you have to work so hard to keep those three things, fear, doubt, and worry, at bay. And you have to keep it balanced with the truth. And you have to work that great faith within you every single moment of every single day. And throughout all of that, you know what he did? He helped me write this sermon. I didn't even write most of this. He did. He stayed up late at night with me while I sat on the bed with my back turned to him, scribbling on pieces of paper when I should have been giving him my attention. And he wrote this sermon. And he thought he knew what I was going to get up here to say. But I cut all of it because I realized you do not need 40 scriptures and an intellectual argument. I cannot be Tim Keller or C.S. Lewis, but I can tell you the truth. Sometimes faith is an unfinished story. And so to my husband, I want to say thank you for demonstrating for me in such a powerful way what great faith looks like. To be clear, I would still like the new blinds to go up this week, but without a doubt, you are a true leader of faith in my life, and I know that God is pleased with your faith. To be clear, I'm not crying right now. A lot of you are crying, so you're crying. You made me cry. I wasn't going to cry. I'm going to wrap this up, but before I do, I have to address the difficult stuff to the people that feel left out as I'm talking about faith because um, there are cases where we're believing for something and it just doesn't work out. One of my favorite people in this church lost his father 
like half a year ago. And I know he believed, and I believe, and I just, I just don't understand. I, I, I don't. And if that's you, and you're wondering why your faith didn't work in a particular situation, then take a deep breath, I'm going to tell you. If there's only one thing that you hear me say today, you have to know that sometimes when it doesn't work out, when you have the faith, and it doesn't come to pass, it's not because your faith is misplaced. It is because it is the Lord's will. And when those prayers don't come to pass, you need to know that your time was not wasted. Your time was not wasted praying for people who were ill. Your time was not wasted waiting for people to come to Christ who never did. Your time was not wasted holding on to a dream that you know God put into your heart years and years and years ago. Your time is not wasted because God is not wasteful. Wastefulness is simply not his character. I looked on the internet, I read books, I tried to find an answer, and the truth is that no one knows why these things don't come to pass, even when we have great faith sometimes. You may not know until you have an opportunity to sit down with him face to face. We can speculate all day long on why something has happened. Suicide addiction, the worst of the worst. We can speculate all day on it. But there is no speculation about God's character and his character and his embodiment is love. So final thought, I just want to encourage you to read the word of God for yourselves to keep going, to move from little faith to great faith, and keep, it, keep and stay in the word. Because that faith, it comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, you have been here and you are here with us. And I ask you to take this moment, this time of worship, Lord, and I ask you, God, to bring us even more into your presence, to speak to us, even if it makes our hearts race, Lord. Help us, God, once again to ask you for the thing that we truly desire to see you do in our lives. And Lord, help us to trust and believe that you, greatest being, greatest God, greatest gift, will do that thing in your time and in your will and help us to accept it and fully surrender to it.
to be lost in your love. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.